This is Andrew Hoffner, the creator of Houseworld and the co-creator of Whisper Lodge. And you are listening to No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. Hey gang, welcome to episode 108 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you this week from the San Francisco Bay Area, which is also why the show is out later than usual. For those of you who listen normally on Mondays, you notice no difference whatsoever. Um, This week on the show, uh, we put a call out for the open forum uh, for people to send us notes on things. Um, And um, we we didn't get a lot of feedback. Um, This happens every time. I'm not surprised at this point. We got two voice memos coming in. Um, We're going to get to those in a moment. Uh, This is usually the part of the show where uh, I I thank our latest Patreon backers. As always, I'm going to thank Ross Sigworth. Uh, who is our supporting backer. Uh, I'm going to wait till next week to add new people on, most because I don't have my notes in front of me, and this is going to be a short show. Uh, so, you know, um, you know, w- wait for the next one. You're, you're, you'll be happy to be on a different episode. Um, I got a bad ep- attitude about this episode. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, if you want to back the show, patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, if you want to find out all the latest news of what's going on, go to noproscenium.com. That's how to do that part of it. I want to dive in real quickly here um, with our first one. So, um, technical note on this one uh, you may find it physically difficult to listen to this next one. Uh, the person has disguised their voice, uh, it's, it's legible. Uh, it's definitely legible, uh, but you know, it's, you're going to have to like pay a little attention. So if you're a kind of person who like usually like drives around, listens to this in the car or whatnot, uh, I recommend not listening to it in the car. Um, just because it's, it's doing the weird, it's doing this thing. And so you're going to strain yourself a little bit to listen. So headphones, pod, uh, podcast mode, uh, not driving podcast mode, but let's, let's, uh, break in, uh, because, uh, this one. Um, this one just rips the band-aid off. Let's rip the band-aid off. Go. Hi, Noah. Um, I just wanted to write and record a message to participate in your open forum. Um, as you can probably tell, I am disguising my voice. I do need to maintain my anonymity for fear of repercussions in the immersive community. Uh, in fact, this may not even be my actual voice. I may have asked a friend to read this missive again for fear of repercussions. Uh, however, I am a Patreon backer. I listen to the podcast. I love what you do. I go to most of these shows, and there's something I think we need to discuss. And uh, that is basically this. There is a situation in the community that is perhaps not entirely healthy. And that is the lack of honesty about the work that's being produced right now. And this comes as a byproduct of how tiny and, or I say, incestuous the scene is at this point. But also from the lack of what I see as an independent reviewing body. Uh, I think you do great work promoting shows and interviewing creators. And I think your opinions are wonderful, but 
How can we expect honest reviews, truly honest reviews from you, when you are friends with nearly everyone who produces them? How can you honestly review, say, an Annie Lesser show when you are friends with her and she backs you on Patreon, even? I am a fan of much of Annie's work, but still, we're talking about a massive conflict of interest here. Uh, similarly, I think that Tay at Haunting.net, also a great website and resource, is facing a similar problem. Nearly every word written about these shows is positive because you guys care about this form and you want it to thrive, but I think you may actually be doing it a bit of a disservice. For instance, I went to a show recently, uh, the tickets were over $130 each, and it was simply not that good. The location was very cool, the actors were talented, but the show was, for lack of a better expression, thrown together. It was rushed, and the creators admitted as much on your podcast. Uh, on my track, my experience mostly consisted of eating some hummus and then spending about a half an hour playing mafia with strangers for about one and a half times what a Sleep No More ticket costs. But it got positive reviews on your sites. Now, could you imagine a world in which people were rooting for the idea of movies so much that literally every single movie got only positive reviews? We saw this happen with Screenshot. Their shows got worse and worse and everyone would talk about it in back-channel conversations, but if you read the reviews, you got a very different picture. And what's going to happen is, when audience members are burned again and again, and these shows are not being held to a high standard, or forced to be creative and push the form, but instead just trying to pump out production after production, people will stop supporting immersive work overall, because it is expensive to go to these shows, and the audience will, rather than expanding and making immersive and established form, winnow itself down to only the most devoted, obsessive people attend these things. Now, there's nothing particularly wrong with that, but I see the potential, and I think something like Meow Wolf is proving this for a much bigger future. Thank you for your time. Again, I'm a big fan, and I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts. All right, you would think I do not relish this, but it's actually funny. Before I even listened to this one, um, before I started assembling the episode, and I was thinking, well, what what, what would I want to talk about this week, uh, or what am I going to talk about if if there's nothing, if there's nothing of substance or no meat in in the the selections, and review has been on my mind now first i'm going to i'm going to counter with a counterattack on on one note which is it is a fundamental misunderstanding of what criticism is to think that personal relationships between people critiquing and creators somehow um makes it impossible to have honest critique i went to theater school. I have a theater degree. And I will tell you right now, um, there's only, there's only one person in the world who I voluntarily do not review the shows of. Uh, they are not in the immersive world. Uh, that is my friend, Michael Shaw Fisher, who I've known since we were both 19 years old. And the reason why I recuse myself is because 
I will be five times harsher on Michael than I am on anyone else. And it's not fair to him. Um, we have critiqued each other's writings privately, openly, uh, in depth. Uh, we go at each other full force. Now, about a year ago, a company, um, and this is when we had fewer reviewers running around, a company asked me, uh, they were like, you know, we don't kind of know where the line is anymore, so we feel weird about you reviewing the shows. And I said, sure, I'll stop. I won't review you guys' stuff anymore. Um, you can probably like read between the lines and figure out who that is if you want to. Uh, it's not my place to, you know, say. Um, I respect when people, you know, talk to me about these things. But I want to be transparent here in the spirit of transparency. Um, because the knives can be sharper. Definitely sharper. Um, I have a rubric when it comes to how I approach work. And we are definitely entering a phase where companies have been around long enough that the harsher parts of the rubric are starting to come into play. And I say harsher from the point of view of people external to the process, internally to the process, uh, it just means more unvarnished. But I'm still going to share that rubric with you right now. There are three tiers of types of work that I see. There's that I literally see in the world uh, on a regular basis. There's student work, there's festival work, and there's professional work. And as I've said a lot of times here, in particularly in the Los Angeles scene, most of the work that we see is done at the resource and the skill level of festival work. And with festival work, you calibrate differently. This is about calibration. Now, we're reaching this point where the ticket prices are going up. And the ticket prices are going up in large part because this shit is fucking expensive to produce, particularly if you're going to pay actors at all, let alone a living wage. None of the actors are making a living wage on this work. And so the rubric we have of a dollar a minute is of like how much this stuff can legitimately cost. It's not in a vacuum of a dollar a minute. It should be a dollar a minute that feels like you get a value. But this shit is always going to be more expensive than a movie, and it's always going to be more expensive than a regular theater show. It's going to be on par with what a Broadway show costs. And there are folks operating at all kinds of different skill levels in the scene and this is particularly in LA. In New York, we have full-on professional companies who are doing this work. I'm talking about Immersive, who produces Punch Drunks, Sleep No More, and who and you know Randy Weiner's part of that group. And uh, you know, Seeing You. We're talking about um, Third Rail, who have Then She Fell, had the Grand Paradise, which closed, and have Ghostlight right now, which hopefully will tour. And you bet your ass that they're held to a different standard because they've been doing it longer. It's also a lot easier to accept when they charge more. They're also coming from a different financial standpoint. Is there a conflict of interest in 
trying to establish the territory and the bounds of what a scene should be and what should be financially stable and the quality of the work. Some. What will the market tolerate, right? What what's what's perceived value versus actual value? Well, in something as subjective as theater, perceived value is going to be always the only thing. Now, is there an element of where FOMO, fear of missing out, is driving fast sales on things and is driving people to maybe um, act like they like something more than they actually like it in order to seem like one of the cool kids? Why else would someone disguise their voice? Or as they said, maybe even like get a friend to read it and then disguise their voice because they don't want to be ostracized by people. Um, and inevitably, somewhere on a forum somewhere, someone's like, oh, how, why is someone like you and they don't dare to name the name? They don't say this. And like, why was there to like, I had a perfectly good time at that show. And for so many people, um, if this is your first time down the rabbit hole on a particular type of experience, your mind's going to get blown. There are shows that are out there that I see people coming back from reviewers and non-reviewers alike who go, oh my God, that was amazing. And I'm not talking about anything in Los Angeles. I'm talking about shows outside of Los Angeles that I then go see. And I'm like, eh, there are people who went to the grand paradise, which I loved and went back and I paid and I paid $125 each time. So I paid a 250 bucks in a single weekend of seeing that show because I loved it. And I know someone who, based on the depth of my experience, went and saw it, and they're like, it was totally not for me. For me, $250 is not a small amount of money. For the other person, the $250 they spent for him and his wife, eh, not that big of a deal. That's one of the factors that's going on right now. But it is often in the eye of the beholder. This stuff is subjective. So, where am I coming from with my reviews? What can I do to help? Well, hold on. First, where am I coming from? I have a theater background. I have a theater degree. The most useless degree <laughs> there is. This is how I use it. When I write reviews, I tend to write reviews primarily as notes for the creators and for students of the form. Right? My reviews are not consumer reviews. They're not structured like consumer reviews. They're not fully intended to be consumer reviews because I'm interested in the development of the form. Now, that means when I break out criticisms, notes on things that are not working, I tend to write them in those terms. I don't write pass fail. This is good. This is bad. I'm not fucking interested in this is good. This is bad. I'm interested in what's working, what can be approved as much as possible. That's what I do. Now we published something this week. We published a piece on the path of Beatrice, which is a $300 extension of the Paradiso escape room in New York. We publish it 
as a feature and I framed it as a first person. And it was a narrative written from the point of view of the person who experienced it. Catherine, Catherine Yu. Catherine really liked it. I had a different conversation earlier in the week with someone else who had gone to it, who did not like it and did not feel like it was of the value. And that person actually paid less for reasons. So I have two people, both of whom paid. So Catherine went in, paid the $300, and the other person went in, paid less than $300. Catherine enjoyed it. The other person did not. Who is right? They're both right. Because it's fucking subjective. Now, you can never, ever, ever get someone to tell you that the money you spend on something is worth it or is not worth it, right? Once you've done it, people will try and like justify. There's a whole thing in video game reviewing where it's like people looking for people to justify. So people get bent out of shape on review scores. So I'll never fucking put a review score on something, right? People want to feel like their purchases are being justified. People want to feel like they are validated for their feelings. And I'm not saying you're not validated for going to the show. And I think anyone who's been to the shows, they know exactly what show you're talking about, but you didn't call it out, so I'm not gonna call it out. And I didn't write a review, someone else wrote a review for us. And there are definitely people who love that show, who are completely blown away by it because they haven't seen anything like it. And there are other people who go to the show and they can see the seams in the show. I can see the seams in the show. I know what that show needs to do in order to break even. And they're going to be in the three-figure range, somewhere in the three-figure range in order to make that work. I know what you're talking about when it comes to playing Mafia. And I think there is a consensus in the people who have seen the show, who have both paid and not paid to see the show, that that particular sequence is the weakest sequence in the show. And if the show wants to survive on the long term, that is going to need to be addressed. Definitely. No questions whatsoever there. And that is a note that I delivered in person way back in the day. Am I upset that it hasn't been addressed yet? No, because it's, it's not my business, literally. Right? Like the market will bear what it does. Are we in danger of the market collapsing in on itself because of those things less than we'd think precisely because of something that the caller caller brings up which is that there are things like meow wolf out there and there is a vastly larger pool and indeed that explains why there is a range there are people who come to stuff and they see things there's a show there's a there's a show not in los angeles that I, that multiple people came down from and they were like oh my god it's absolutely amazing and i went and saw the show and i was like it wasn't what I was looking for. It had some incredible elements in it. When I wrote up that show, and oh, fuck it. Um, That's a speakeasy up in San Francisco. When I wrote up notes on that show, I said, you know, there are times that, that the space is beautiful, the actors are talented, but there are times when I felt like I was watching the whole thing through a veil. It wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Um... I see a lot of this stuff. I'm always trying to calibrate based on a range of 
if this was my first time down the rabbit hole, would I be impressed by this? This is my hundredth time down the rabbit hole. What are the seams that I'm seeing? What can be done to make this work the work it wants to be? I got to see preview night of the Infernal Motel last night. Um, right before I'm recording this. Well, not right before, but I mean last night. If you've never been to an intimate immersive show, this is going to knock some things around in your brain. I watched the people who were with me afterwards come out and one of the people, they were like, oh my God, I'm sitting there and I'm in love with the traversal and I'm in love with a couple of the ritual moments. And then afterwards I gave some acting notes to the director because I was like, well, you know, here's some things that I'm seeing that could like connect in better. This is your previews. This is where you are. That's what it is. It's not pass fail. It's not that fucking simple. And for one person who was with us, it was like worth more than what they paid. And for me, and I was, I was comped, you know, I went a cop to that. I was comped. I think I'd probably be okay with what the ticket price was. I think it's around the $45 range. It's not a massive amount of money. I mean, for the love of God, I spent like $30 when you add in parking going to Dunkirk, right? So like, hi, movies are expensive. Dunkirk's amazing, by the way. Um, well, worth the 30 bucks. But different, right? Different spending of $30. But I can't, I can't tell you with absolute certainty that you're going to love something. Um, I went last weekend to the first part of, or the first full biggie thing in, it's hard to explain, because the Nocturnal Fandango people are doing, um, you know, this year's The Sudden Loneliness loneliness Gift, um, and it's it's the follow-up to Have You Seen Jake? And I'm, I'm they're, they're, they're bringing me in, you know, keeping me abreast of what's going on, seeing the shows, and I actually just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, I, on that one, know that, you know, they borrow liberally from the extreme horror world. Like they're fans of Heretic. Uh, Heretic, which is a thing that I, I wouldn't ever want to do to myself. It's not my bag. Uh, I send other people to go do that sort of stuff. People who really like that sort of stuff. In the group setting there, you know, people are being interacted with in that way and that people are being like, you know, snatched away from the dinner table, you know, kind of physically violently. I also know that like some of them really liked it. There was a girl who was snatched away and she was saying, yes, daddy. Uh, and I'm like, oh, you're, this is your, this is your bag. This is really your bag. Great. No judgment there whatsoever. This is a hard thing. It's like, I may not want to be dragged away. Someone may put their arm around my neck while I'm holding a fork and I may flip my fork over into the most threatening manner possible. Things I actually did. That's me signaling, no, I don't play like that. And I don't recommend everyone doing that. That's instinctual on my part. It's probably something you shouldn't do. But also the creators know that like, I don't play like that. They know what my threshold is and they customize to that level. Would I recommend the work that they're doing right now to people who have zero interest in that sort of stuff? Um, 
not the group setting stuff because it can be distressing, right? If that's not your bag, mm, no. Their first fully realized show, which is going to be called Therapy and Dreams. I know for a fact that they've got a track laid out that's not for people into that sort of stuff. How much will it flirt with it in terms of presenting that kind of material to you as something visually to see? I don't know. I'm very curious. And there's a liminal space here in terms of, you know, what can you do? That's a three-figure show as well. My instinct to tell you as a Sherpa, as a guide, if you're really, really, really not into the stuff that borders on BDSM in terms of thematic content, I would say probably not for you. It's in their DNA. Um, If you have no tolerance for that sort of stuff, uh, even witnessing it, shy away if you if if you're fine with that if you're curious if if you're if, if you're into that sort of stuff then you know you're you're okay and one of the things i was literally talking about this like an hour before i recorded with someone else cuz i'm thinking you know how can we organically guide people better it's funny i sent someone to red flags and i think everyone pretty much agrees that red flags is amazing you know by everyone i mean like this i have yet to hear anyone talk negatively about it and i've asked a lot of people that person hasn't talked to me yet and a part of me is a little freaked out because that person's opinion on things matters to me and i'm like if if something that we collectively are like this is really good Uh, doesn't impress someone who's an outsider. What the fuck does that say about us? Uh, Are we insular? Are we, have we, you know, lost the plot? No, not all things are for all people. But there's the question of like, how do we guide people to things better? Active question. So before I get into that, summarize. One, completely reject the idea that a critic and a creator uh, can't know each other. Uh, if anything, it creates the opposite dynamic. Does that mean that maybe, you know, you want to be a little too cautious? Um, yeah, there's, there can be that in there, but you don't do them any favors as a creator by holding back. You, you don't, you do them damage and the ones who can't take it, you know, you just you just don't write about anymore um or you don't engage on because if they're not going to take the notes they're not going to take the notes so they might take the notes privately and then you give the notes privately and there you go but we've reached past the point where um we reach past the point because there's enough stuff going on that one review can make or break a show. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy place for us to be in. But yeah, you're, you're never going to have a scenario where, you know, there aren't those relationships and it's a fundamental misunderstanding, as I said, of what the critics job is in this scenario. Um, 
the critic's job is not to be the hype person. The critic's job is to excavate and explore. And we've been in a phase for a long time where no one understands the rules. And we're in a phase where people are still onboarding left and right. And so it's going to be a mess, but we're pretty much exactly where we need to be right now. Um, And indeed, coming into more clarity in the months ahead, um, it may even feel like it's a little early. Uh, But here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And any writers writing for me, I'm going to be encouraging them to do the same. We will, and won't be structurally artificial, we will have a block in the reviews that frame who is this for? They answer the question, who is this for? So questions like, you know, Nocturnal Fandango, it's for people who are interested in extreme emotional states, who are interested in themes of um, emotional distress, madness, um, power dynamics that you would see uh, in in BDSM type stuff. Um, the lust experiences for people who are into paranoia, um, conspiracies, um, you know, dramatic soap operas. The work of the Speakeasy Society is for people who are into theater style, um, the American canon, um, acting grounded experiences. These, these are the things that we're going to be guiding you on in a kind of more express manner because we've got enough people now in the field that in terms of the the audience that people have different tastes. And right now what's happening is everyone's buying tickets as soon as something goes on sale in the hopes that it's the thing that they want. And we're going to have to get over that FOMO thing because that's where people are kind of like driving themselves mad because you know, you, you, you're gonna, you're gonna miss out on shows that you want to really see. Uh, if you hold out waiting for the thing that's to find out whether or not something's really for you, but we're, we should be at a point where things can get extensions. Most people are planning extensions before they even run a show. And hopefully there's enough time for word to come out about whether something is fulfilling its promise or not. But being very clear about whether, you know, this stuff is good for immersive veterans, for people who are going the first time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So on that note, Infernal Motel, if you're a first timer, do it. Go for it when the next round of tickets come on sale. If you are a veteran of this form and you haven't been to the space, the Rathskeller Club, um, oh yeah, dude, Traversal is amazing. If you're someone who's a member of the Rathskeller Club and you and you know and you're curious to see how your space is being used, also also good for you. Um, if you're thinking of like, oh, I'm coming up from like Los Angeles and making like a weekend of it to like go see this one show, um, and you've seen like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of immersive, um, you know, if if you're driven and you're curious, go for it. Um, I would make it part of a, a full weekend in San Francisco then, you know, like, like plan a couple other things out. Cause it's, it's a good show. It's a good show. Is it a show where I'm like, I'm super transformed. I'm initiated. So no, I'm not, I'm not super transformed. Cause I've seen a lot of this stuff. 
And I can tell you, I could walk into like 90% of the stuff I see right now and be like, oh, I've seen it all before. Keeping my instrument sensitive so that I'm not doing a show a disservice just because I've seen the bag of tricks or I know the way a structure goes, that's hard, right? Oh, poor Noah, you see so much of this stuff. No, no, really. Like, you know, if you're an actor, you know what I'm talking about. If you're if you're any kind of like director or performer, like you get to a point where you've seen so much work that all you can see is the flaws and you start to go crazy and wonder, am, am I just jaded and stupid at this point? Like, that's the thing you're always kind of watching out for. I mean, I... I spend very little time doing the audio editing on this piece. Wow, this is big old rant. Very little time audio editing on the show, mostly because I know if I started doing major audio editing, it would drive me nuts because by day I do a lot of audio editing. And um, all I can hear, I can be listening to This American Life, which drives me up the wall in many ways. And if I hear a bad edit, it just, it just, it ruins it for me, breaks it entirely. Um, the part about Dunkirk that I can't stand is like they will format change from it's mostly in the IMAX. If you go see it on a 70 millimeter IMAX screen, uh, mostly in that full frame. And then it will drop down to like your standard Panavision type lens once in a while. And, um, and without without narrative reason, seemingly, it's just like, oh, shot's cool this way. Or I'm like, was that a reshoot? Throws me completely out of the piece, right? I have to suppress that instinct all the time. I'm not in your head. I mean, my voice is right now. I'm never going to get it right for you. And this stuff is really subjective. What I pledge to do is I'm going to try my damnedest to give you signals as to whether or not something is going to be interesting to you. I will get it wrong. If you're concerned about how much stuff costs, on the regular, then hold back on the stuff that costs more than 40 or $50 that costs more than $20. Wait until there's a consensus. Everyone doesn't have to go buy everything sight unseen. It would kind of be great if everyone stopped buying everything sight unseen. Full stop. The best thing, someone who's just, you know, generically like letting like all of like the 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 nitpicks and the things that throw them out like drive that like that's not that's not good criticism either uh, a description of what a show is verbatim like that's not great criticism you know uh, unrelenting cheerleading it's not great criticism we've all fallen into that at some point or another the objective should be seeing clearly balancing out the strengths and the weaknesses and if we got reassurance from the community that they would better understand when we drop the notes on a piece that this was not oh this is terrible but it's done in the spirit of this is what these folks should be working on. I think we'd all open up a bit more on that because the fear is that you're going to see and be harsher because of how much you see.
because you're jaded. Because at the end of the day, critics get jaded. Fucking know I am at this point. Doesn't mean that I still don't wind up loving things. I do. I get wrapped up in stuff. That's for certain. But it's harder and harder all the time. Straight up. Straight fact. It is harder and harder all the time. But this stuff is also on the price thing. It's, it's pricey. That's pricey. All right. I think I'm going to you guys for like 25 minutes on this answer. Uh, yeah, something like that. That's probably enough. Let's, uh, let's get our next thing, which is from, uh, from Andrew in New York. Hey, Noah, this is Andrew Hoffner from New York City. And what's on my mind is an immersive theater announcement that I'm excited to make. It's like almost an announcement. We're about 80% sure that this is going to happen. A performance that I co-create, Whisper Lodge, is probably going to tour to San Francisco and Los Angeles this fall. Whisper Lodge is an immersive journey through live ASMR. ASMR is this subculture that mostly exists in YouTube videos where people receive pleasurable tingles from certain visual and sonic stimuli and from scenarios of intimacy. My co-creator Melinda Lau and I have put together this happening where you come to a physical place and experience these sensory sequences in person. From Wednesday, September 20th through Sunday, September 24th, we are aiming to mount Whisper Lodge in San Francisco. And from Wednesday, September 27th through Sunday, October 1st, we're intending to present Whisper Lodge to LA. The reason for making this not quite confirmed announcement here is to bring about those logistical necessities that will turn this endeavor from a probable one to a definite one. You can help us gather these performance ingredients. No proscenium listeners. We are reaching out to you. In addition to our Whisper Lodge immersive experience, we're going to be staging other orbiting events during these weeks. We'll be doing our ASMR sound bath, which is called the Intimacy of Sound. Melinda will be offering her customized one-on-one ASMR service, Whispers on Demand, in which you can request any ASMR sequence you can think up within certain bounds of human decency, and Melinda will perform that sequence for you. Uh, We're also going to be offering one workshop each, one given by me, sharing the observations I've gathered, doing immersive theater over these last three years, and that's going to include investigations into my other show, Houseworld. And my co-creator, Melinda, is going to be doing a workshop that explores immersive theater making as well as the practice of live ASMR. In addition, we are likely teaming up with one of the finest and most well-known ASM artists on the planet. Her name is Whispers Red from England, and we are in conversation about facilitating her first journey to California for the purpose of sharing ASMR with the public. We're currently looking to stage a performance by Whispers Red called ASMR Happens, an audio experience 
that shares some qualities with that show, The Encounter. It's something which he has already mounted in London, and now we'd like to do it in San Francisco on Saturday, September 23rd, and also possibly in Los Angeles. In both cities, we're looking for venues, cast, and documentarians. Let's talk about venues first. For Whisper Lodge, we're probably looking for a house. Our performance works well in domestic spaces, which are divided into smaller rooms, clean, pleasantly designed, and quiet. In the past, we've performed in or considered performing in apartments, a clothing store, an abandoned bank, and a church property, so we're flexible. For ASMR Happens, the Whispers Red show, we're probably looking for a conventional theater or maybe a school auditorium or a church social hall with a stage and enough chairs for an audience of about 150, a place that we can rent for a night. For Whispers On Demand, Melinda is looking to rent a clean, quiet nook. This might be a room at the back of your house or apartment. So whether you're someone who might email us and say, I've got this place and you can rent it for me for X amount, or if you're a person who's just saying, this performance happened in this house last year and you could try them, drop us a line either way. All advice is greatly appreciated. Uh, and we can offer discounted and free tickets depending on the amount of help you offer. We're also looking for cast. We are seeking Actors who like immersive theater, people comfortable with intimacy and gentle touch, or ASMR enthusiasts, nurturing people, soft, ethereal people, people who like experiments. Los Angeles performers are welcome to come perform in San Francisco and vice versa. If our show's a good fit for you, this could certainly lead to more art making together in California, and you could very well end up adventuring with us over to the UK and Singapore, the two countries where we are looking to take Whisper Lodge in 2018. Regarding documentarians, we are looking to hire one videographer in each city to film some of the events, and we're looking to hire one photographer in each city to take some stills. A bigger intention for this is to start cultivating a culture of touring immersive theater in the United States. Let's start cross-pollinating. If any Los Angeles companies are interested in coming to New York City, maybe I can help you. It's looking like I'm going to be inhabiting a unique performance site starting in 2018, and especially during those early months of the year before Houseworld fully devours this place, I would definitely be glad to share it with some cool companies with some good ideas. Or maybe I can simply point you to the right church rectory or the right abandoned grain silo where you can stage your Californian immersive piece on the East Coast. Uh, beyond all these pragmatics, I'd also like to simply invite California immersive fans and California fans of ASMR to come visit Whisper Lodge this fall. I'm going to stay an extra week in Los Angeles to check out everything immersive that you have going on, for which I'm very excited. Most of these details I just went through are going to be typed out on our website, which is whisperlodge.nyc. You heard it first. Uh, maybe I'll see you in the fall. Signing off. Goodbye. 
thanks for calling in with all that information, Andrew. That would be a, a lovely place to uh, kind of end the show on this time. Um, so I probably should say, so we will. Uh, but I, I want to... I want to use it to to give a little context, right? Because the the first big block of the show was very specifically addressing the LA scenario that's popping up. I made reference to like how things are in New York and in other places. And this is the other thing I wanted to talk about this week, which is that um, and something that keeps I'm keeping reminded of. Um, it's really easy inside of something to feel like that's the whole world. Um, and the LA scene is definitely a scene. Oh, it's a scene enough again, that like someone like masked their voice for fear of, you know, being ostracized. And I don't think they were wrong to, I really don't. Um, it sounded like I was mocking, but no, seriously, I, I really don't feel like they, someone popped that up and no, it wasn't me. I didn't do this as a setup. So I know some of you might, you know, be thinking like, oh, this is like five chess moves. It's like, no, don't worry. There's, there's, I keep being reminded there aren't that many chess moves going on. Um, it's all a lot less complicated than it seems. And it's a lot smaller um, because of the, the FOMO effect, the limited number of tickets, um, this sort of live fire experimentation that's going on. Um, and there's, there's, already been you know several layers of, of of blowback all in that scene this is not one city's art scene there is a distortion that happens um in the, the conversation here at no Fresenium and in everything immersive and definitely in all of the la based blogs um particularly in the last six months because a scene is forming there, but immersive has been going on a lot longer than that. It's been going on a lot long, long, a lot longer than sleep no more or then she fell. Um, New York is definitely stabilized. As I talk to people these days, I like to say LA is about three years behind New York and a lot of the rest of the country is three years behind LA. And that's just talking about the country. And I know there are people who listen to this show who are in London and in New Zealand and like all over the world. And sorry if you're getting some some body noises from me. I hear them too. Um, don't mistake the house you're in for the neighborhood. And don't mistake the neighborhood for the city. This is a lot bigger. There are way more people who are just starting to get introduced to these ideas. There are folks who are down at San Diego Comic-Con this week, and the people on the immersive scene, some of the newbies on the immersive scene are like, oh my God, there's so much immersive stuff this year. It's really blowing up. Yeah, this stuff, these activations have been happening at SDCC for five years now. They've been going on a long time. You're just waking up to that they're there. Okay, so uh, you might have been spending a lot of time at Hall H before, uh, but there's a great big wide world of this stuff that's been going on a long time. Experiential marketing, you know, the term activation, the term activation has been, been in that zone for the five, six years now, if not longer, longer. I'm, I can think of five people like, Noah, we started using, I know, I know, I know. Um, ARGs. Um, you know, we're excited about the fact that it looks like uh, Nine Inch Nails is doing a sequel to the Year Zero ARG. 
the Year Zero album is 10 years old. All this stuff has happened before. We're in a Battlestar Galactica story arc, all right? There's a much wider world out there. So don't fret that much about it when it comes to um, how healthy the scene can be. Because the scene is just one little component of it. And for those of you who are outside of the LA scene, don't even... Like we're, we're, we're going through some growing pains at the moment and we're going to get through those because the demand far outstrips the capacity right now. And that's one of the things that's driving the prices. And that's one of the things that's driving the enthusiasm. And that's one of the things, you know, that's going to keep stuff going because there are far more people who want this stuff than have the ability to access it. And when Star Wars Land opens up and when that hotel opens up and if they can take something like the Westworld experience on a roadshow. Um, and when Ghostlight tours, it's going to blow the doors off of it. And there's just more and more and more demand. And for the stuff that's intimate and small, there's going to be people who, um, you know, demand higher touch, higher quality experiences that also cost more money because at the end of the day, you're paying for actors to pay attention to you. You're paying for someone's attention. Now, when that attention is not delivered, you can feel like, oh, you know, I'm just getting a performance. And that threshold is big, you know? You want to feel like you're actively part of something, and that's part of the design issue. And believe you me, when we get creators together and we talk, it's exactly the kind of stuff that's going to be discussed. When there are safety concerns and issues, that's exactly the kind of thing that's going to be discussed. And as we level up this thing from a nascent, nascent movement that is moderately self-aware into something that's professionalized, you bet your bottom dollar, these are the questions and issues that are going to be talked about and are going to be addressed and not in a, we've got to stop them talking about this stuff. No, these notes are being heard and you will see the behavior change. And if you don't see the behavior change, then you'll see others step up and deliver and it'll move on. And it'll move on. All right. Um, yeah. Open forum. We uh, we locked that one down. I'm sure I pissed some people off. Um, but I'm not here to just make everybody giggle all the time. Um, we take this shit seriously. Um, we really take this shit seriously. Um, there's plenty of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, we don't air out. Um, some of it, which is like boring and you want to want to know about, like, you know, uh, do, do you really want an hour long on permits? And maybe you do, but that also maybe help you understand. And maybe that's the thing, you know, we can be more transparent on some stuff, like when it comes to like the, the logistics and the nitty gritty and like just how obnoxious all that stuff is. Um, but you know, most folks, they just want to have a really deep experience. I was about to say good experience. No, I know what people are looking for. They're looking for something that feels like it addresses what's missing from this world, the, the world. And some people might say, oh, that's, uh, that's not healthy. No, it's the world that's not healthy. And this is us trying to brew up some medicine. 
some batches, you know, but I don't think there's all that many people. And I'm not talking about a particular scene right now. I'm talking about the world, right? So don't get it twisted. I don't think there's that many people in this space overall who are just seeing dollar signs. That doesn't mean there aren't some people who are just seeing dollar signs, but they are outnumbered right now. They are vastly outnumbered in terms of the people who are making this stuff. So keep that in mind as you go forward. And uh, be giddy that you're part of a vanguard if you're listening to this. I know exactly how small this community is overall. And that means that you're part of a vanguard. And that means that, you know, there are hits and misses. Um, And that's the price we collectively pay. <sighs> Feels like it's any on depressing note. Uh, next week, next week, um, you know, I'm going to reach out to some folks because uh, of SDCC and see if we can get some talk going on on that one. Um, Midsummer Scream is happening next weekend. I've got a panel going on there. Uh, we're going to have uh, Zombie Joe, Landon from The Overlook, Anna of Shine On Collective, uh, Jonathan Josephson, Josephson, sorry, Jonathan of uh, Unbound Productions are all going to be talking about uh, theater in and horror. Uh, so we'll talk about immersive stuff, but not exclusively about immersive stuff, although pretty heavily about that. So come on down if you're at Midsummer Scream uh, in Long Beach. Should be good. And it's Immersive Sunday, so there's going to be all sorts of other stuff on that. Uh, and you'll find me there. So come talk to me. Uh, as always, the door is open. Here comes the credits. The backing um, uh, supporter, of course, is Ross Sigworth. The music for the show is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Uh, thank you, Chris, for all the amazing work you do for us. Uh, I can be reached at noah at nopresidium.com. Nopresidium.com is where you find links to all of this stuff that we do. Everythingimmersive.com is how you find the Everything Immersive group on Facebook, on Twitter, we are at no proscenium. Um, remember the door is always open. Uh, whether you want to drop a voicemail or a note, a letter, uh, we can read it on the show. We can play it on the show. We will occasionally have episodes like this where we address them. Um, you are heard. You are heard. Your perceptions, your perceptions are real. Yes. What you perceive is real. The things that are moving behind it that create the epiphenomenon may be more complicated than they appear on the, the surface, but you are not wrong to receive anything at all. Hopefully we can provide more and more clarity. Uh, for those of you who want us to get wonkier and wonkier, can encourage us to get wonkier and wonkier. Um, I'm always willing to do that. And indeed, I'm thankful for the notes we got today because uh, I've been looking for the encouragement to... Um, you know, dig in a little more and to, and the framing of really being able to just bluntly say, you know, who, what is for, um, my best estimation of that, because of course I cannot see into everyone's souls. Um, and everyone's mileage varies. Speaking of which I gotta get on the road. I gotta get back to LA. So I adore all of you. Um, thank you for listening. This episode was going to be super short and it turned into really long. Um, yeah, there we go. And I'm sorry about making that popping sound until next time. I'll see you at the show.